0: With the 32nd pick in the 2018 NBA Draft, the Memphis Grizzlies select Javon Carter from West Virginia University.
1: You talk about grit and grind, the Memphis Grizzlies, the perfect guy for the perfect team for the perfect town.
2: Welcome to West by Pod, Virginia, the best name West Virginia podcast on the whole wide internet presented by SmokingMusket.com. I am your host, Matt Kirchner, executive tweeter at The Smoking Musket. Follow me on Twitter at mkirchner12. And I am joined, as always, by Smoking Musket head honcho, Mike Miller. Follow him at West by God underscore. Mike, how
0: are you tonight? Uh, I'm good. I've been, uh, been busy this weekend. So this is going to be a nice little break and get to talk about some sports.
2: And have actual sports content on this episode. So first things first, we'll get right into it with our rundown here. We're going to have our brief recap of the NBA draft, where, as you know, Javon Carter was taken with the 32nd overall pick by the Grit and Grind Memphis Grizzlies. Um, Perfect personality fit there. We'll get into that a little bit more in a second. And we are then going to be joined by West Bipod Virginia's inaugural guest, SB Nation's robot, Bill Connolly. And we will do a deep dive into West Virginia football and the rest of the Big 12 conference. And then we'll finish off with our dumb thing of the year of the week, where we each have a nominee this week. We're going to talk about Mike Leach, and we're going to talk about Colin Cowherd getting bodied by Baker Mayfield. Rest in peace, Colin. (laughs) So getting right back into basketball, we'll start out with Javon. Mike, we talked about this last week, last show, and I brought up the Grizzlies as a good spot for Javon, and then I scooped Woj on draft night by like a whole hour.
0: (laughs) The Grizzlies, they they were eyeballing Javon. Across the dance floor of (laughs)
2: Ben. If you didn't follow the draft on Twitter, you missed ESPN's NBA insider, Adrian Wojnarowski, a.k.a. Woj, who was told by the NBA and ESPN that he couldn't tip picks before the draft. So to counteract that, he was using, like, a locked-on are not afraid to pass on things like that to tip the picks before they happen. And about an hour before the Grizzlies were on the clock in the second round, I tweeted something to the extent that the Memphis Grizzlies are staring at Javon Carter across the floor that Ben. And then an hour later, they picked him. And I still yet to receive credit by the Big J journalists at ESPN for my draft scoop and I will stay salty about that for a while. But all kidding aside, it's a really good opportunity for Memphis to get some playing time on a rebuilding team.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, we hit on that in the last show. That's really the, the best possible spot for jo- for Javon. I mean, I, I can't think of anybody that's a better fit with that team, with that defense. I mean, <laughs> it's, it just makes sense. And then, I mean, there there's, there can't be it can't be a coincidence that the GM is from Buchanan, West Virginia. Um, Nick Van Exel is a assistant coach. I mean, there's so many connections there. It's, it was written in the stars, basically. It's a great spot for him. He gets
2: a perfect mentor in Mike Conley, who at least is there for the moment. I mean, with a rebuilding team in the NBA, you never know when your vets can be shipped off, but. The perfect embodiment of what a defense first point guard in the NBA should be is Mike Conley. And if he can get his offense up to snuff to at least be a threat with his shot, that's a spot where he can stick for a while. And I'm really excited to watch him grow in the NBA.
0: Yeah, I mean, even the, the analysts during the draft said, if you break down statistics... Javon is a, a has a better chance of being an all star than uh, Kevin Knox and I don't remember who the other guy was, but it was like top fifteen picks. Yeah, I mean, so Javon Javon's going to have a, a spot in the NBA. Like he's good for a good solid ten years or so. He yeah, ha- I'm sure he, he is. his ceiling may not be as
2: high as a lot of these draft prospects in the NBA, but his floor is also significantly higher than a lot of these. You know what you're getting with Javon. And he's never going to give you anything less than 100%. So right. I'm excited and, to see how he fits them. Uh,
0: shout out Mike Casaza. Uh, he wrote an article, I think, it was right after Javon got drafted. Um, and he, he's I guess he, got, he talked to, I think, Larry Harrison. And... Coach Harrison was saying that these teams were calling the coaches and saying, is he for real? Like, is Javon for real, or is this just an act? Uh, The coaches, they couldn't say anything bad about him because it's for real. That is Javon. (laughs) The the NBA coaches were just blown away.
2: Yeah, you imagine that he is a coach's dream in the league. He's just going to come in. He's going to work hard. Um, Is he going to be a perennial all-star? Probably not. But is he going to be on an NBA roster for a very long time? I really think so. And it will be fun to have a West Virginia guy in the league to root for. We have a lot of fans here that don't follow the NBA as much, and I think it's one of the best, if not the best league out there right now in terms of entertainment value. So I'm excited for it to get some exposure that way and have a West Virginia guy to root for.
0: And I fit that profile. Like I, I watched the NBA a lot when I was little, when Michael Jordan was in the league. Um, but I, I just kind of, I've not watched it probably in the last like eighteen years, more than a handful of games, other than the finals. I'll watch the finals. So I don't have like any real cheering interest. But I think I'm. I might be all in on the Grizzlies. I know they're not like the greatest team, but it's gonna be fun to watch Javon.
2: <laughs> no, they're a, they're a solid franchise. I mean, this is. They bottomed out a little bit this year, but
0: for the so longest didn't they make time. A, they they didn't a made playoff a playoff fixture. run like, a yeah, couple years yeah, ago. They,
2: they're, they're a playoff fixture most of the time, except this year where they bottomed out a little bit and there's a lot of injuries involved with that. But with that bottoming out comes an opportunity for him to help in a rebuild there. They're never going to go away from a defensive identity in that franchise. So from that perspective, it is his perfect spot. So, I mean, as we get further along into the summer, um, we're going to have some summer league action where he'll get a lot of run. He'll be the starting point guard on their summer league team for sure. So he will definitely get some run and potentially run into Daxter Miles.
0: Uh, Yeah, July 10th, I believe. The The Kings take on the Grizzlies on ESPN2. Just so that's out there for everybody.
2: Yeah, um, moving on to Daxter a little bit. Um, got a shot. He is on a basically a summer league two way contract with the Kings. And basically, for um, those who may not know how NBA contracts work, if it makes it into the regular season, basically what a two way contract is, is a call up, send down contract that basically gives the NBA teams two extra roster spots through the regular season where the majority of the season they will be on the g-league team for the franchise but can be called up for a certain number of days throughout the nba regular season where you'll accrue actual nba time so if he manages to stick on a two-way into the regular season, it gives him an opportunity to make a little bit more money than most G League players. Now, he'll have to show a lot in the Summer League to be one of those regular season two-way spots. But in the same way that Javon does, I mean, he's going to fight and battle, and it'll be fun. Yeah, and so... if he plays well, you never really know what'll happen. I mean, maybe he gets some G League run, Maybe he plays in Europe. I mean, right now you can make more money playing overseas than you do playing in the G League. But there is nothing wrong with getting that opportunity. And maybe you show out and get your shot.
0: So what kind of performance is is Dax going to have to have to stick, basically? Kind of like the performance he's having in the the Big 12 Conference Tournament? That kind of
2: Yeah, he's going to stick. Yeah, to actually stick on a. Two way in the regular season, he's going to have to go off in summer league because you'll see a lot of two way contracts not be like a lot of veterans who are floating around get those two way contracts, right? So, I can see him being on a G League team. I don't know how realistic it is that he gets that full time two way this year, though. But it's an opportunity, he's in an NBA franchise, he's going to get some run. And yeah, like the worst is like July 10th. And yeah, we will all be watching that. So, I mean, not a whole lot to talk about beyond that right now with basketball. We're definitely going to keep following through the summer league. Hopefully, get some Grizzlies people on here after Javon shows a little bit on the court. And we'll always keep you up to date on them. It's going to be a fun career to follow. I think. I think he's going to stick around for a while.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And I think I'm going to. This was in our outline. I want to segue into something here for a second. We might have two lottery picks next season, if things go the way everybody's thinking they're going to go, which everybody knows. Kanate. Yeah, can get... But do we do we want to go ahead and throw out Lamont West lottery pick? Yeah, I can. I can see it.
2: Um It's going to take a big season from him. But if you look at what the NBA really, really values right now, it is the 3 and D wings.
0: And they draft on potential.
2: Draft on potential. And one of the most valuable positions in the league right now is the 3 and D wing. If you can knock down shots, you are 6'9", 6'8", and you can defend the 2 through the 4, depending on the lineup in the NBA, you're going to go high. So if he recovers from that wrist injury, knocks down his threes this year, and plays strong defense, he's a lottery pick too, I think. Now people are going to fight that a little bit, and a lot of it, I think, is a lack of you know hardcore NBA following in West Virginia to really see how the league is working now. But as somebody who absorbs a lot of NBA, when you look at Lamont West and what his potential is as a wing player, it is lottery potential. I'm not going to call it right now and say it, but talk to me in 10 months after this season. And yeah, there could be two in the lottery next year, which would be a huge, huge look for recruiting for the Press Virginia system, which is kind of a niche system. It's very unlike what's getting played around the country, especially in the NBA right now. But the fact that kids can come into that system, take the kind of hard coaching that you get for Pugs, and come out and be in the lottery... That is definitely huge for our program going forward. We need to start putting players in the league.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think we might have seen the start of it with Javon. Because we've got some real talent on the team over the I mean, that's already there in Morgantown right now. So we might have a nice little run with putting players in the league. That'd be awesome.
2: Yeah. Like, what helps in recruiting right now is not deep tournament runs. You saw our recruiting after the Final Four. I mean, it dovetailed for a while. Right now what's being preached, especially in this one-and-done era which in a few years might not exist anymore, is I can get you into the league. And right now, hugs at West Virginia doesn't have that. And it's definitely being used against him on the recruiting trail. So as a fan base, we need to stop looking at it as a negative that our kids are testing the draft water and they might leave early. Because what that does, we've hopefully succeeded on the court. They're going to succeed in life. And it's going to open up spots for future players that may be coming in that can see that they can get to the NBA from West Virginia. And now West Bipod Virginia is proud to welcome its first guest, SB Nation's resident robot, uh, chief nerd on footballstudyhall.com and co-host of Podcast Ain't Played Nobody, Bill Connolly. You can follow him on Twitter, SBN underscore Bill C. Am I right on that? Yes. How are you doing tonight, Bill? Thanks for coming. I'm in. good. I'm good. How are you? Doing well. So um, we are at time of recording here now, a nice 69 days away from the true week one kickoff of college football. And we've got you on here tonight to break down West Virginia football, as well as the rest of the Big 12. Um, so with the Big 12 this year, um, you did, you finished up your
1: preview series of it last week, Right uh yeah i think it was last week time's kind of theoretical at the moment but yeah i think it was last week uh and i started the big 10 right after that so at the end of that you published
2: your power rankings for the big 12 and it was bunched into four tiers um tier one and tier four are absolute oklahoma has the most talent and is probably going to roll to the big 12 championship again. And Kansas is going to try really hard, bless their hearts.
1: For a while, anyway. After a while, they'll let go of that rope after a while, but they'll try for a while.
2: They'll beat Texas Tech and get Cliff fired, and then (laughs) it'll taper off. But the middle, your Tier 2 and 3 of the conference, is a big bunch of shrug emoji, basically. Right. And the question we have, and our fan base has this summer with a summer of hype that comes along with star power at these sexy positions in football, is can West Virginia take advantage of that middle pack and be the team that comes out and probably faces Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game?
1: And I mean, they can. (laughs) Um, I, my... West Virginia is why making predictions at all is really, really hard. Uh, and I don't mean that like from previous years. I just mean like right now, if you were to just compare everybody starting twenty-two against each other, then West Virginia probably has you know one of the two or three best. There are issues to be sure, but uh, most of the lines back, most of the receiving corps back. The you know obviously uh, one the, what what one of the only the, or the only team in the top five of my rankings at least that has its quarterback back. Um, and then on defense, got you know, thinned out a little bit, but the, the starting 11 is going to be pretty experienced. So from that, you know, that's, that's good. You know, you can, you can work with that, but if there are any injuries, if you guys are in like the 90th percentile in injuries, you're probably in the big 12 title game. But if you're in the 50th percentile, if everybody in the Big 12 is in the 50th percentile, I think injuries are going to hit West Virginia harder than those other teams in that top half. And so that makes it really, really hard to come up with any sort of like earnest, like prediction that I want to really stick with, because I mean, it's going to all depend on who's kind of who's left on the death chart at the end of the season.
2: Yeah. And. We're a very strange team going out this year. I mean, the talent is out the ass, but like you said, there is probably a very small bit more than zero in terms of margin for error, in terms of injury luck. Yeah, Once and
1: I mean... That... Uh, you know, if, if you get hit, anybody who gets hit particularly hard with injuries is gonna is gonna struggle mightily. But it does seem like if it just a normal amount of injuries is gonna hurt West Virginia more than it would say TCU or Texas or somebody like that. And thinking of TCU
2: and Texas, I mean, the biggest question you'll see around the rest of the Big Twelve this year is the quarterback position because you had so much talent at that position leave after last year. At your best schools, um, who do you see emerging? You know, at TCU, at Oklahoma State.
1: I mean, Lord knows they've they've all got you know former star recruits. Um, yeah. So you know, in theory, in theory, there might be any, not there might not be any problem whatsoever. You know, Sam Bradford left, and Oklahoma was fine. You know, they they're, the the good the good teams that produce a lot of good quarterbacks, they don't ever have to suffer a drop off. Or if they do, it's for a year, and then everything's fine again. Um, TCU, you know, they've got the, the, you know, the Robinson kid. If he doesn't work out, then, you know, you're either starting like a four-star freshman or a pin transfer or Grayson Muelstein who's been there for like 37 years. Um, but if Robinson pans out and starts playing like a four-star should, then, I mean, maybe they're just fine uh oklahoma state's the same way like you've got taylor cornelius has been in the system a really long time got the four-star true freshman that like seemingly everybody does uh you've got drew brown the kid from hawaii coming in who could at at the very least kind of set a floor um to make sure you don't fall too low at the position even if his upside probably isn't that of some of the others um So you know, really, odds are pretty decent that they're both going to be fine. Or if they're not fine, they'll figure out halfway through the season what's going. You know, Mason Rudolph. You know, what was what what, you know was on the bench until like the tenth game, and then then suddenly he was everything was great at quarterback again. So it happens. We'll see how long the breaking in periods are. Uh, But really, we know Oklahoma State and TCU are kind of in the same boat in this regard, and it's really hard to make a a definitive judgment about who's in better shape there. And at the
2: end of the day, it is the Big Twelve, so it. It, the offensive schemes and the coaching is good enough and the defense is normally bad enough
1: that it really doesn't matter right <laughs> yeah i mean yeah somebody somebody will get slowed down a little bit more than but, others but yeah, you know, chances but, are the offenses are going to be pretty good but, and that's i don't know so going
2: off on that um If West Virginia's offense is as good as advertised, with Greer, Sills, Gary Jennings, that receiving core, how good does the defense actually need to be for them to really compete? Like, what's the difference that makes them like a ten and two team with a bad defense, or like seven and five?
1: Yeah, I I mean that's a that's a very good question. You obviously got more uh, margin for error, though, and it's a good thing that you've got margin for error because I mean the defense. Was pretty was pretty bad last year, and um, you know, worse than worse than really expected. Uh, the, obviously, the kind of the story last year with my projections the preview and everything was that you know West Virginia had such little return in production that the projected uh, drop up was pretty significant. We knew that Will Greer was sitting there on offense, and that might we knew that might make a difference. Uh, but the defense obviously didn't hold up its end of the bargain in that regard. And as soon as the offense started struggling late in the year, that was it. You know, so. Um, I think we we know kind of where the bar is. If West Virginia has a top 10 or 15 offense, then to make the big 12 title game, you kind of probably need to... Well, okay, let's put it this way. OU last year, I think, was number one on offense and ended up... Let's see. What was their defensive ranking? Uh, it was bad. Um, but they were... Oh, that's right. Yeah, they were 101st. But they had yeah. by far the number one offense. Yeah. So, you know, if you, get, if you get that into the 60s, basically, I, I would say you probably... Uh, pretty safe. You know, West Virginia went ten and three in twenty sixteen. They had my number twenty seven offense and thirty seven defense. So you want to be in the top fifteen instead of top thirty, then you know uh, raise that by about ten each, or or just raise the offense or whatever. It's obviously they're not that far away. Uh, but you got to just you got to figure out how to. It's real hardcore analysis right here. You got to make some stops and um (laughs) and 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 the big plays you give up. West Virginia made some stops last year, but the big plays they gave up were fifty yarders. Mm -hmm. Um. And, and so in West Virginia's case, I guess that that's the main thing. Like, take your risks, uh, you know, hold your own in that regard. But when you have a breakdown, make sure it's just a breakdown and not a catastrophe. Yeah.
2: And then we saw a lot of catastrophes with blown coverages last year. Like the coverages are going to get blown. It's college football, and for the most part, everybody's bad. And everybody blows coverages. But you just, like you said, it's limiting it to not being a catastrophe every time right. a coverage gets blown. And last year it sort of ended up being that.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I mean there were in, you know there were some injuries, there was a decent amount of shuffling, not a ton. I mean, not like the you know, horrible horrible injuries luck, but the secondary especially was juggling through a bunch of guys it seemed like. So that's fine. Um but yeah, like the you know having you know, Kenny Robinson, I guess, isn't a freshman anymore, so that'll help. And, and you know, the guys who are sophomores or juniors now. That'll help. But you still just need kind of a, st- a stable core. You had a White and Askew Henry last year, and it was still kind of, uh, you know, off the rails at times. So, yeah, just that, that unit is going to be really, really tested because of the conference you're in. Uh, it could certainly get – it would certainly benefit from a little more of a pass rush than they had last year. Um but yeah, just <laughs> don't you just get beat for twenty yards. Don't get beat for fifty, and you might be all right. Yeah, you get beat by twenty, you get another chance to stop them. You get beat for fifty,
2: probably not. So, last thought. Going off on that, you know, it's a very hyped up season for West Virginia in terms of what the talent they bring in is. Does that make this a bit of a crossroads year for Dana?
1: I mean, I don't know. I I I think in the end, I don't end up really believing in in in, in the so-called like you know make or break or put up or shut up those kinds of years. Um, you know, he just he was ten and three two years ago. You know, like not even two years ago, he was two and ten and three. So I, I think he's kind of proven what he is um, if he has the right kind of. Uh, the right cross of, of talent and experience. And, you know, they get the right teams at home and they get the good breaks. They're a 10 win team. They've done that twice under him. Uh, if they get a very average amount of experience back or, or breaks or whatever, they're going to be the seven or eight win team. And if everything goes wrong in a, in a really strange way, they're going to be a four and eight team. That's, that's basically defined the whole Holgers, Holgerson, uh, era. And if you stick around long enough, like, you know, Kirk Ferentz went 12 and 0 uh, he, he's pretty much defined his range, but they got extra lucky uh, one year and they went 12-0 and with it. So, I mean, you just stick around long enough and you roll the dice enough, sometimes it'll come up pretty well for you. But I think we know we know Dan's range. And I think it's, kind of, my impression is that it's kind of frustrating for West Virginia fans because it's not national title range. It's not really, you know, the, the, it would take the upper, upper, upper part of that range to be a Big 12 champion. Uh, you're just good. You're good uh, with chances of being very good from time to time. And once you kind of hit that level for long enough, you get frustrated with it and you demand more. And, you know, that's, that's, what, I, that end up, that's what I end up calling Glenn Mason territory, where you, you demand more, you're tired of just being good, you make a, a, a rash move and suddenly you're bad because the guy you replaced with isn't actually very good. So, I mean, that's kind of, that's a frustrating range to be in, but it's also a good range because you're winning more games than you're losing.
2: Yeah, and that's sort of where West Virginia has always been in term as a program. Um, your three year run with Pat White, notwithstanding, um, is just you have to take advantage of those years that are set up for you to win 10 games.
1: Right. Oh. Right. And I mean, you don't always know that in advance. I mean, in this case, it does kind of feel like this is a good opportunity for West Virginia because you're in a mm. quarterback friendly conference and you're the only one in the top half of the conference that has your quarterback back. Um, so it would be a shame to waste what we're assuming is, is Greer's last year. But, um, you know, or no, wait, you know, Greer is a senior. I was thinking, never mind. I was I was his his, tra- his transfer math had me confused for a second. He is a senior. Yeah, so it's definitely while, his yeah. last year. But um, no, I, you know, it, it would be a, it would feel like a wasted opportunity not to kind of peak when he's a senior. But, you know, as long as Dana's around, you know, you got the Allison kid after him. They're going to be good quarterbacks and probably pretty good offenses uh, down the line. And if, it, if you time those, even if the offense takes a step back, but the defense takes two steps forward, then you're fine without Greer. So it, the trade just keeps rolling either way. It does kind of yeah. feel like this would be at least a little bit of a missed opportunity, though.
2: Yeah, the biggest dread that I think a lot of West Virginia fans this year is that the schedule sets up very well for them to start seven and one, six and two, eight and zero oh, if the ball all bounced the right way, mm-hmm. and then you run into that death trap right at the end, and you worry about his tenure here has sort of been defined by fast starts and then sort of clunking to the finish and seeing that happen on a big stage this year where you suddenly go from 7 and 1 to 8 and 4 may just be one of those points where you hit like maybe it's just stale and all parties need to move on and i say this is like a giant hogo supporter
1: you know i it's mean yeah so that is certainly something that that can happen from time to time and i i because Hiring a new coach is such a terrifying risk, and because it's fifty-fifty, all the examples I always give, like Oklahoma hiring John Blake before Bob Stoops. You know, all those examples of uh, Ron Zook before Urban Meyer and and whatnot. Like it's so it's so easy to screw up a hire, even when you think you you follow the right process. Giving up or, or basically kind of agreeing to part ways with a coach, you know, is good instead of trying to figure out how to get him more kind of infrastructure support to push him forward. I always get wary about that. Uh, it does, from a fan standpoint, it does kind of feel like sometimes you've hit the, the just kind of let's just part ways. Everybody will be happier, um, and and maybe that ends up being true. It's just when, when you've got a good coach uh, uh, under you know under your roof uh, under your roof, excuse me um it's it's just so hard to to give that up uh you know even if he's never going to be uh you know bob stoops or whatever uh or don nealon he's very good and uh man yeah no i'd keep trying to figure out how to make that work yeah and for the most part i do agree like
2: west virginia for what it is for these like natural disadvantages the program has being good with the chance of being great is a pretty good place for us to be in.
1: Yeah. We just, we just always want to think our team has turned the corner and, um, it's, it's hard to re- rarely is that actually the case. Um, you know, and and it's just hard to kind of to, to to it feels like you're quote unquote settling for mediocrity as they'd say on talk radio when you basically say he's good and that's fine I'm okay with I'm okay with going eight and five most years and occasionally doing better it, that that never makes you feel good to say that and so you kind of reach you kind of reach that point where you know, nothing's going to make you feel particularly good I think
0: yeah.
2: so segueing off of that into sort of more macro Big Twelve issues off of West Virginia, um you see the other hot seat turnover potential in that league, since it is a PAPN tradition to only talk about bad things. Right. Right. Um, Let's start out with cliff. What does he have to do in Lubbock this year?
1: You know, it's kind of, I, I I got more pushback when I, when I put out those power rankings. Um, and it was it was, it was last week. It was Tuesday. um, I got more when I, when I released them, like everything for the most part, everybody's like, yeah, that makes kind of sense. Texas tech fans were pretty pissed that I put them eight though. Um, part of that is because I think there was, well, they, they want to believe we actually have a, a not the worst defense in the country anymore. Um, <laughs> and so therefore I, I want to believe that we figured it out and now we're going to turn a corner or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, I, it takes a leap of faith to believe that because we have kind of seen a range for cliff now too. And we just, the last time they were, uh, you know, per S, my S P plus the last time they were even a big 12 average team was when Mike Leach was there. Uh, they've been fighting, they've been swimming upstream since then. And so it is absolutely possible that, you know, the defense that did, that did take a step forward. <laughs> they took a step forward to 88 last year, but that was still much, <laughs> much, much, much better than it was the year before. um, they actually figured out a, a kind of a ratio of bend-don't-break that worked. Uh, they got enough you know, turnovers and whatnot. It, it, it worked out pretty well uh, that they were able to kind of withstand the fact that they, their offense sank from top 10 to top 25 without Patrick Mahomes. Uh, the problem this year is, I mean, their defense should take another step forward again, but they're going to – you have to believe that Cliff Kingsbury is just incapable of fielding something worse than like a top 25 or 30 team – or offense, excuse me. Um to believe that this, t- this, this, uh, team as a whole is going to take a big step forward. Cause they lose almost every receiver. They lose their quarterback. They lose their best running back by far. Um, and that's, you have to just assume that, Oh, it's cliff. It'll be fine. And our defense will be better. Therefore we're top 40 and we're a big 12 contender now. And I, I it can absolutely happen, but man, that just, that feels like a couple too many ifs for me. So he's in a tough spot. He's in a position where, uh, you know, he's probably going to go about six and six. Um, which is not going to be deemed acceptable by fans for sure. But I don't know. I don't know where administration falls on this one. Cliff is obviously a favorite son type. Uh, You usually get at least a little more rope when that's the case. Uh, But I don't know if six and six is going to cover it or not. That's basically where he's been hovering for four years now. And by
2: the way, if that happens, if Cliff is let go at Texas Tech, if you're Dana Holgerson, how fast do you throw Jake Spavadol off of a cliff? Pun, huh. tr- pun not intended there. Right. And huh. go try to get him to be your offensive coordinator.
1: Right. I mean, you know, if you believe Stephen Godfrey, my PAP and spouse, um, you're going to have to race uh, Nick Saban for that. Uh, we're pretty sure that... Oh, that's that, scary. I don't We're pretty that. sure that Cliff <laughs> will at least aim higher than kind of semi-same tier. I, I mean, West Virginia is potentially on a different tier. Uh, but just... Generally speaking, I think he'll aim higher than that to start off with. For his, if, if he goes back to becoming an offensive coordinator, whether that'll all come to pass, we'll see. But uh, he's—I I think he'll aim pretty high, and we'll see if they're not takes. need Cliff commanding an army of five stars. That's no, I, that's, that's the pure like starry-eyed. You know, I, I, my number one—seeing the two of them on the sideline together would be kind of worth it um but just yeah out of pure sheer morbid curiosity like my god what would that actually do what how how would that actually work uh it would certainly be kind of fun in that regard even though he'd be we know, have to ask if this be, is what we want football to be right well and, and yeah we have to you know we'd have to enjoy watching the death star be particularly deathy and i don't know if i can uh I that, that, there's always drawbacks there
2: So next up, and this is less serious as it is just sort of an annual tradition at this point, Mike Holder got a little bit too comfortable on a podcast and shot off about Mike Gundy's recruiting. Is he actually ever going to get run off at Oklahoma State and take the SEC job he flirts with every year?
1: I mean, he... (sighs) If the white one comes about and they offer him enough money, he he'll seriously consider it, I guess. But I mean, he's very very comfortable, and I think if this wasn't such, this is what we were saying on PAPN last week. If this wasn't such a quiet off season where we didn't have anything like big like realignment or more serious to talk about, this wouldn't even have been a blip. But we turned it into the whole like you know Holder eviscerates Gundy, rah, you know, and it was just you know Mike Mike Holder and Mike Gundy go way 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 back um and they have fought uh, you know uh, they have fought a lot together they have uh built a lot they have worked with t-boone holder was always kind of the middleman for that whole building process and they are very comfortable with each other and i think it really was just a case of him getting a little too comfortable on a podcast like you said they're just they kind of knew that you know they, they've talked about this before they probably bicker about it at breakfast or something all the time uh and he just got a little too comfortable and and said the the, wor- the words to the outside that he always says to the inside and that was it like i don't think it was you know gundy having fun with it on twitter was kind of a giveaway to me too um if you're really pissed off about it you probably don't use like the the you whatever this little sarcastic crooked uh, eye emojis, um, <laughs> but like that's, I, I think they just their family and they bicker and it's fine. And uh, it just somebody seems wants like to throw now, it's a fun okay. annual tradition yeah, that he flirts
2: with an SEC team and T Boone pays him like another half a million dollars.
1: Well, I think it, in Tennessee's case, it was just basically Tennessee called him and he said, and he thought to himself, Well, I mean, they're one of the one." They're one of the only schools maybe desperate enough to pay me a crazy, crazy amount of money. So I might as well listen just in case. And then when that wasn't the case, he he said, no, nah, don't call me anymore. Um, but I mean, that's, you know, that, that does, anytime you do that, you risk kind of losing a little bit of trust or whatever. But I never really thought they were, that he was seriously considering the Tennessee job. So I, I don't think it was necessarily a flirtation to get a raise so much as, oh, let me make sure they're not going to th- throw a stupid amount of money at me. Okay, never mind. I'm good.
2: I was like, "Oh, they're embarrassed. They're so embarrassed that they throw me Jimbo money." Right,
1: exactly. But, they like when like, <laughs> when Gunny's name came up, they they had reached like mass desperation, and so I, I think I would have had to take that call just to make sure they weren't going to offer me eleven million dollars a year or something.
2: Yeah, and they secure the bag. Right. So finally, moving down to our friends, Kansas. They have yeah. to go outside the box. They have to do something like hiring Willie Fritz, don't they? Because at this yeah. point, throwing a bunch of air raid guys against the wall and hoping it'll stick against teams that just have so much more talent and ability than they do just isn't working.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I always try to – I know there's a, a certain – like if, if you just hire a super competent coach – that he'll get you to a certain level no matter what system he's trying to run so in that regard like i always think back to i started my sbn previews i think in 2011 and that was right around the time that james franklin uh ended up at vanderbilt and when he got hired i remember my piece was about like vanderbilt's got to do something different and edgy they gotta they, gotta, they should go after ken niamata you know they should uh do something they should go against the grain and and all that and it was i i mean i still think ken ken niamata should have a a power conference job by now but um it it what, what what we learned with james franklin is if you just handle your business and you know you keep guys motivated and work working really hard and you know what you're doing you can still win a lot of games and so that competence matters above all else but it certainly wouldn't hurt uh if you're not sure like i i'd say the two ways that kansas needs to go here are either the Willie fritz you know, Ken Niematalolo, triple option, whatever, just to be a complete curveball uh, and make it re- really, really hard for defenses to prepare for you each year. I, I certainly it'd
2: be, a pain, it'd be a pain in the ass to prep for that in the middle oh, yeah. of prepping for Texas Tech and Oklahoma State, and then you have a oh, triple yeah. option week in the middle of that.
1: No, it'd be it'd be ridiculous and it'd be super annoying. And as a Missouri guy, I, I really like Ken, and I don't want him to go. And I I like Willie Fritz too, and you know I. Yeah. I don't want them to get stuck in that job, but there's a chance they would do it really well. But, you know, the other option as a Missouri guy, the, the example that I've always had floating in my head, um, it's Larry Smith. Um, back in the 90s, you know, Missouri was in like a decade long funk, not 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 Kansas level funk, but bad, quite a bad football team. Um, and they brought Larry Smith in. He had been at USC, been at Arizona. And he basically just cleaned up the program, you know. He, he 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 vacuumed the floor. He did all the little things that made it kind of a, a not a destination program, but just a competent program again. And they ended up peaking at like eight and four with him. They they went to a couple bowls and then fell off a cliff uh, when he lost his star quarterback and uh, you know played a hell of a, an Insight.com bowl against West Virginia that I that uh, was super fun and then kind of uh, anxious at the end. But but, you know, he still he fell off a cliff and and his tenure died pretty quickly, but he got Missouri. He he upgraded the facilities. He did all the things to make it seem like a power conference job again. And so if like this is not the I'm not going to propose Kansas hired Dennis Erickson, but a Dennis Erickson type, just a guy who's been around a long time and knows what not to do. That Like, really, maybe that's the next step for Kansas at this point. Just come in and clean things up and be competent for a little while and get some mid-three-star guys who you can actually develop a little bit. Uh, and then when you crap out, the next guy inherits something a little more than what you inherited three or four or five years beforehand. So that's, and that's yeah, either Ken, Yamaglolo, right right or Dennis the- Erickson. That's, that's my proposal right there.
2: And that's Kansas's issue is they just keep the next guy just inherits a worse tire fire. Like, it just keeps getting, after Mangino, it just kept getting worse and worse with everything they tried to put in there.
1: Yeah, and then and then you get desperate. Uh, both Charlie, we- you know Charlie Weiss, what is either second or third? I think it was the third recruiting class was like seventeen JUCOs or something crazy because he just got impatient, uh, and that means two years after those JUCOs signed, they're gone, and you have just a destitute uh, program. So then Beatty comes in, and says, "I'm gonna five year guys, I'm gonna go long term," and he signed like ten in each of the last two classes. So you just get you get itchy, you get desperate, and and uh Beatty's checked pretty much every box on the what not to do and how not to do it kind of playlist here. And, and the, it's really hard to do that job well, and he hasn't, obviously.
2: It's just a hard thing for all involved. Like, There's no like actual clear path to changing that program at all. <laughs> you just have to be competent get somebody's... <laughs> it's a start. Not, it's guess. a start. So to end things up here, um, I'll cede the floor to you a little bit. What in your minds are like the three critical things, storylines, turning points, whatever you want to call them, that you think will really decide the Big 12 race by the end of the year?
1: Well, I mean, the first one, I mean, you got to start at the top. The first one is basically, is Kyler Murray good or awesome, right? I mean, he's going to be pretty good. He's really fast, and he can run really well. And you put him in a backfield uh, with Rodney Anderson and Trey Sermon and those guys in a line that... Felt like it lost everybody, but still returns like three all conference guys, uh, which seems kind of unfair. Um, like that, they're gonna have a good base of an offense. Their defense should be better. I don't know how much better, but better. Uh and and they were so far kind of ahead of the curve last year that we have to see exactly how far they're going to come back down to earth before we know if anybody else even slightly has a shot. So I'll start there. Like, you know, number one is Kyler Murray really good, or does he even beat out uh uh Austin Kendall or whoever else you know know, Kendall had a good spring so um the the battle there is going to kind of continue for a while but that's kind of to me you kind of have to start there number two I mean I I will say like I mean West Virginia's injuries are gonna be kind of a story like if they can if they hit in the right places if they can keep that that core group of starters together they could be very good at least top 20 to 25 good um and that might be enough uh you get a couple breaks in close games that might be enough to make the title game but then i mean the other issue is like you were saying earlier it's quarterbacks um who has one and who doesn't um you know whether we're talking about osu or tcu whether we're talking about texas who has two of them and i sure thought ellinger was better last year but even when he was healthy they kept rotating with him and buchel um and that was kind of a weird deal is kyle Kempt like he showed so much against o- o- OU for Iowa State uh, in that that one game, and then he was basically just asked to hand the ball off uh, in to to a running back facing like nine guys in the box the rest of the year. So are they going to let him kind of open things up a little bit? Do they trust him a little more uh, to make some plays with new receivers? That'll be kind of interesting too. But yeah, you get injuries at in West Virginia, competence at OS, or, at, or elite play at OU, and then just who has a quarterback and who doesn't. And I think that'll
2: be what does define it this whole season. I mean, there's a lot of interesting storylines that like we didn't even touch on in here. Like, Iowa State coming back with their most hyped year right. like, forever, and they're convinced that Matt Campbell was never, ever going to leave. Yeah. Bless their hearts. But... Just kind it's of sad, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Bless their hearts. It It's going to be a fun year, I mean... We've still got a little bit longer to wait for it, but I think we see the light at the end of the tunnel. We're looking at, like, what, nine weeks until yeah, week I mean, zero? Yeah, weeks, yeah. So we can definitely see it coming. And, yeah, Bill, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it, and yep. hopefully sometime down the line. We'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Thank you. That was, again, um, SB Nation's robot Bill Connolly. Catch him. Every week on podcast, ain't played nobody with Stephen Godfrey and at footballstudyhall.com. com. And finally, we're moving on to our dumb thing of the year of the week. We have two nominees this week, and Mike, you want to get us
0: started up here? Yeah, let me. The content just falls into our laps because I I thought for sure we were going to struggle to find something, but in this Twitter universe that we live in now, like it, it just falls into our laps. So. I'm going to name Mike Leach um, the dumb thing of the year of the week. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Mike Leach, his Twitter account is just outrageous. Um, first of all, he he was tweeting like a, an Obama conspiracy theory video the other day. Um, and that got like blasted out everywhere, I think, which in turn got us into a Mike Leach. Uh, who was he feuding with on Twitter? Who did he challenge Dan to a Wolken. debate? I can't. Yes. Dan Walken. Yeah, so that and I'm not sure what Mike wanted to debate about. <laughs> so I'm not
2: sure if it was his coaching acumen or if it was his conspiracy theories or what. But whew, Mike. Yeah, he's going to get fired, right? <laughs> I don't I either see either. a way out of it because I think one they have a new ID. Two they're going to definitely regress to the mean. A little bit at wazoo a lot went on in that program some of it sadly not under his control but the baggage may be too much they might have reached the mike leach breaking point which i think with a personality like that is kind of an inevitable event he's def- He's he is what he is
0: yeah, he's uh... gonna take
2: the program he's gonna win he'll he'll get you to win eventually uh but there's a point and especially when you have a new a d that's not mike leach's a d
0: it but, yeah. the cards are stacked <laughs> against him right now so let me yeah, let me throw he's... this out there we talked about it a little with with bill c and we mentioned it last week um if something happens and dana go, does go looking let me just say uh Dana holgerson Washington State. He can reunite with Lamont McDougal. <laughs> Who said? Could you imagine that? Go <laughs> like Lamont gets homesick and goes to to Washington State, and then Dana follows him out there. Like he's stuck with him.
2: <laughs> and then we get that's how we get Lamont McDougal back.
0: I fixed it. I fixed the so, defense.
2: Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. Mike Leach is definitely getting fired unless they win like eight or nine games, which I don't think they are. The interesting question does come in with does he resurface again after this at a Power
0: 5 level? And I'm not sure.
2: Thing, no. I this could I, be uh, it.
0: Yeah, I, I don't see him. I don't know if anybody's going to take another chance at Mike Leach, because like you said, he is going to get you, he's going to get wins, but my god. <laughs> Everything that comes and with it. The thing him. is, like, nothing, he's not done,
2: like, Assuming that Craig James fabricated a lot of that room with five. (laughs) Mike Leach has never, like, done anything actively evil. He just has a lot that comes with him. And I think it just runs its course. And I think it's going to run its course at Washington State. And I can't see him coming back. I think he'll ride out in the sunset and retire down the Key West. And probably write pirate a ship. really, really strange. Yeah, write a, another really strange book. <laughs> Moving on, my dumb thing of the year of the week is Colin Cowherd getting bodied by Baker Mayfield on live radio. And I think it is the greatest thing ever to see, especially in this sort of shock jock, holier than thou sports pundits. Punditry environment that a lot of sports television has gone on to see a guy like Cowherd pick and pick and pick at a very minor detail of Baker Mayfield running to the fans in the stands instead of immediately to his teammates on one of like the seven touchdowns he scored against Ohio State this year. And Baker just absolutely bodying him. (laughs) <laughs> In like, the response.
0: The screenshot that just went around Twitter of Baker just staring at him, waiting. Like he knew what he was gonna say, he was just grinning. That's the greatest thing I've seen. Like that's <laughs> that meme is gonna get used all this season. But yeah, like, like that's such a
2: obvious. In the skip Bayless sports talk generation. I want more athletes to be like that.
0: Like, so do this, we get Will Greer, like just bodying people when they bring up the alleged performance enhancing drugs? Like, is that a thing we're going to see? Hopefully.
2: <laughs> hopefully.
0: <laughs> because we're going to hear about that all year. I mean, he's not going to be able to do it that this that year. The
2: draft process.
0: There is no, I mean, it's already
2: starting that. Yeah, there is nothing that makes mountains out of molehills Hills more than the ridiculous six month NFL draft process. So prepare for it. That's going to be a Will Greer red flag. And it will be brought up constantly if he is a potential first round quarterback. Yeah. So just so, prepare for it.
0: Back to Baker, like that that attempted at attack by, by Calhoun is just ridiculous. That's the one guy you can't say is not a team player. Like, I've no. never watched a Baker Mayfield game being like, that guy, he's just for himself. Like, he's all about team. Like, I don't understand yeah, like, that. that like, was the obviously, worst.
2: Our, our, our fan base probably isn't his bigger fan, biggest fans because he bodied us and we
0: brawled with Oklahoma as he was kicking our ass. All right, well, here's the thing I like but, about Baker, and I think I think you've evolved to, like, the world's biggest Baker Mayfield oh, stand. Yes. As, a,
2: as a as a long-suffering Browns fan, I am the world's largest Baker Mayfield stand right now, because that's my quarterback. <laughs> so, like, if you wanted to manufacture a quarterback that just was like, I don't care that this franchise has been garbage for infinity. I'm just going to go, and I'm going to win, and I'm going to body people. And that's Baker. Like and I, you have to respect that. He's not conventional, but he gets the job done. And it just so happened this week, his job was putting Colin
0: Cowherd into a body bag on live television and radio. Here's the thing I like about Baker: he embraces the heel role. Like he's so fun to hate, (laughs) like which makes Mm. me like him. Yeah,
2: like it's a role, and and he feeds off of it. He feeds off every little bit, and some people may say it's detriment, to some people it's a strength, that he remembers everything. And he went on (laughs) to Colin Cowherd, knowing what was coming, and just shot him in his place. And I would like to see more athletes doing that to the Cowherds and to the Skip Baylesses of the sports talk world.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a trend that needs to start.
2: And those, Mike Leach, Colin Cowherd, you are the dumb things of the year of the week. Thanks for tuning in to our second episode here at West by Pod, Virginia. Again, I'm Matt Kirchner. Follow me at mkirchner12. I was joined by Mike Miller at West by God underscore. As always, keep on with the smoking musket for all your West Virginia news and analysis. Have a good one.
0: Remember the five.